Welcome back to the Liberty on Fire podcast. I'm your host, Libertarian Tony. Well, if this is your first time listening to this show, well, thank you very much. And if you are a repeat listener, well, then I also want to say thank you for coming back and listening to each and every show. Please don't forget to visit my website when you get a chance, libertyonfire.org, where you can get the podcast directly over the internet and links to support pages for the show to help keep the lights on and for some of the products that I'm going to recommend who I happen to be an affiliate marketer for. So if you want to support the show and you're interested in some of the products that I'm helping to promote, then go to my website and either make a donation on the Patreon page, which of course will also be in the show notes, or check out some of the products I'm advertising and see what you think. But remember to click on it through my link at my website or through the show notes. If you are a social media person, well then you can also check me out on Twitter at LOF Podcast. So that's L-O-F Podcast. And please don't forget to give me a five-star review on Apple Podcast or whatever medium you're using to download and listen to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Hey, Joey, welcome back to the Liberty on Fire podcast. How you doing? Good. Hey, Tony, how you doing? Did you like the Super Bowl? I did, actually. I, I was in favor of the Chiefs, and I am glad that they won. Um, I guess we could give Elizabeth Warren a congratulations now, being a Native American Indian. She's probably happy that the Chiefs won. Don't you live in Cal- California, though? I do, but I am not a 49er fan. I haven't been. I haven't been a 49er fan, I don't think, ever. Uh, there was, I don't know how many years ago, they were playing the Bears. I happened to like the Chicago Bears, and I think the 49ers ran up the score. It, it was kind of obvious mm-hmm. that they were really doing it on purpose, to, it looked like to me. And so ever since then, I've hated them. Well, yeah. the bad news is football's over, though. So what are, you, what are you trying to say? We have to wait until next year? We have to wait until next year. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that sucks. But what you've got to do is you've got to take a week off, like clear your mind, take a good long break, don't think about football. And then after a week, I want you to start mock drafting for fantasy just after one week break. Start now because you really have got to do better next year. I I finished off okay, but I did. It was overall a pretty bad season. Yeah, and let's start practicing like ASAP on that, okay? I'm, I'm going to, I'll get on that. All right, good. Um, yeah, I definitely need to practice. But anyway, there's a bunch of topics since we haven't done a podcast in a long time. I haven't done one in a long time. And obviously, there's always something going on in the news, but there's definitely some kind of big stories that we can hit on. And, yep. Um, yeah, so I, was, I still rely on you right now because my head is still not completely in the game. I'm still a little bit burned out about this all this stuff, okay. partisan politics. Well, that's fine. I will lead us off then, and I'll mention that Brexit actually went through. I think it was mm. like on Friday night or something. And I think I think Britain, or they were in the EU for like 47 years or something. And then you have like this big vote four years ago, uh, Brexit was voted for, but then, you know, all the establishment politicians, the elitists came out and they fought it and fought it. And the elites basically said, you know, you dumbasses, you don't know what you want to vote for. You know, we, mm. we will tell you what you have to vote for. And then, of course, in late 2019, all those, all those elitists got hurt and they got thrown out of office. And now we have Brexit. Yep. And um, they still want to work together. I mean, they still want to work with you. you they're not beholden to them anymore. And it was a good, good win for, you know, true democracy. Yeah, I never thought it was a good idea to have a bunch of unelected bureaucrats in Brussels telling all the other countries in Europe what they could and couldn't do. It just didn't seem like, it just didn't seem like having this group of people far away from your country telling you what to do was going to be a good idea. That was going to work out for everybody. I mean, government, if you need it, should be local, right? Because you should be able to go down to the store or the gas station and see these guys pumping their own gas or shopping and be like, hey, when are you going to fix that light? Or what about putting a stop sign over here? You know, you shouldn't have these elitists sitting thousands of miles away telling you what you have to do, what you, you know, all the rules and come down from on high uh, telling everybody what they can and can't do. It's just, it's just, people don't like that. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see 
uh, what happens in the aftermath if other, if you know after a while how does it look for britain and does anybody else follow suit in the eu well that's the thing it's like a lot of people have mentioned that once britain goes and if they don't collapse right away which there's no reason why they should i mean that's just a dumb mm-hmm. uh, theory that some people have then other nations are going to be like, hey, why are we still in it? Because, I mean, if you think about it, they can't really, you know, get their central banks going and printing money and paying for all the things that they want because it's all controlled by the euro and by Germany. So, you know, France is not doing so well. Spain is not doing well. Greece isn't doing well. And Italy, I mean, there are all these countries that are doing horribly. They, they would very much like to get control of or have their own central bank, have their own currency again, and be able to print as much money as they want and pay for all, you know, their huge welfare state. Yeah, I agree. Do you ever listen to Niles Farage on, on this? He's the leader of the Brexit movement. I know who he is. I haven't listened to him in a while. He, he have a, I think he gave a speech on Friday I was supposed to listen to, but I forgot. Man, I, I re- you gotta listen to him, and I recommend anybody if they're if they're wanting to know more about Brexit and, and the logic behind it, you gotta listen to Nalish Farage because he's the leader of the movement, and he's really gets in the EU's face so many times, and he's he's kind of like uh, funny about it and, and very brash, and um, rubs a lot of things in. He's just so entertaining to listen to, but he, he has a ton of reasoning and logic behind the the reason that they want to you know exit from the EU. And he's really entertaining, though. He's a good one to listen to. They actually, he was kind of like gloating about the uh, when it happened the other day, and they actually cut his mic. It was kind of funny. Oh, really? Okay, I got to go yeah. find that because I do like him. I just, I just, I, I didn't. I lost time. I was actually working the whole weekend. Um, so, anyway, that's my excuse. But I, I want to keep this one theme in the back of your head for the rest of the podcast. Was that this Brexit to me? Just like Trump was in 2016, it was an anti-establishment event, an anti-establishment movement. And I think that is going to continue to play out in the years to come. But uh, I don't have anything else to say on Brexit. Do you? No, and you're right. It was anti-establishment, and that's kind of the trend of the way that people have felt. And they took that feeling to the voting booths, and you got Trump, and you got Brexit. That's right. You got those kind of people. Yep, that's what's going on. Okay, so I guess we can cover the Virginia Sanctuary County thing real quick. Um, I, if you don't mind, I'll let you kind of take this one and run. I, you're the one who actually told me about what was happening over there, that Virginia was passing gun restriction or gun you know, yeah, restriction laws, and the people were kind of standing up and, and creating their own sanctuary cities. It's kind of like a play on the, you know, the sanctuary cities that were happening down at the around the border and not obeying the ICE laws. Um, and they're not obeying these gun control laws, right? That That's what this is all about. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, so you got the legislature sitting in their Capitol building, and which just flipped uh, Democrats. So now they're passing these gun control laws. But then most of the state is actually very pro-gun. But where yeah. all the elitists sit, you know, they think they know best for everybody, and so they want to pass these gun control laws. And then you have these, you know, sheriffs and stuff and people in in these counties that are representing supposedly the people in these counties saying that we're going to be a sanctuary for the Second Amendment, whatever that's supposed to mean. Yeah, where they basically aren't obeying the laws there. That's where it's some conflicted on it, because I bet you I agree with everything they're saying about what's going on. Uh, especially how the majority of the, those people don't agree with the laws being passed. But to be this sanctuary city where you're just actively not uh, enforcing any laws and it's okay because there's enough of us here, so we're just going to kind of rebel, a little bit weird to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I agree with that. I'm I'm kind of on board with it because I'm a, I'm a big believer in nullification. So, you know, let's say at the local level – even at the individual level, you get called into court uh, on jury duty and somebody uh, commits a crime uh, that you don't actually think should be a crime. Maybe it's like a drug offense and it's against the law and apparently against if, you know, whatever the sentence is, he's supposed to get a year in jail or whatever it is, but then you as a voter can vote that he's not guilty, even if it's against the law. And you're, you're nullifying a law in the books because you think it's either 
you know, anti-freedom or unconstitutional or whatever reason you have. So that's nullification at the individual level. I guess this is taking it to the county level. You have cities doing it against, you know, the state, and you have states doing it against uh, the, I guess, the feds. Um, I, I'm in general, I'm generally in favor of nullification, especially anything against federal law, because there are hardly supposed to be any federal laws at all. We have tons of them. You're, yeah, I, I know where you're going. Where you're going with that, and that's part of how you feel about this whole gun regulation in general is that it's not a federal sort of responsibility to do anything in regards to regulating guns. Is that where you're going with that? Yeah, kinda. All right. So, I the Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment, is supposed to be a a check on the federal government, on the general government. It's not supposed to be applied in the states. Your own state constitutions are supposed to talk about, you know, gun rights and things like that, whether it's allowed or not. And so, and that's where I really believe in federalism going forward. If you're going to have some sort of government, I think the government should be local. You can have a whole bunch of people in California. So in California, if they don't want to have gun rights or they want to restrict it, well, then I think they have every right to do that. But then California can't tell people in Texas or North Carolina or Arizona what they can and can't do with guns. And in fact, in Virginia, they actually have a pretty good state constitution when it comes to gun rights. So I think these counties, the, the people that are actually going to bring the lawsuits eventually against their state should do it on the basis of their state constitution and not the you know, constitution of the United States because that's supposed to apply just to the feds. So you, it's, it should be more of a, a states' rights, state constitution fight. Um, but in, in general, I, you know, people should have in the back of their mind, though, that rights are not a grant from the government. It's not, it's not a permission slip from the government. These are your natural rights that you were born with. You're born with them either because you have you know, religion or you want to say just because, hey, I'm born in this country and I have these natural rights. That's the way... The country was intended to be founded. So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think people should be kowtowing to the federal government. The state shouldn't be, uh, but you know that's just the way our country has gone over the past two hundred years. And you know the Supreme Court says something, and then all of a sudden the states have to kowtow to it. And that's not the way it was really or originally set up. Uh, but what about on the opposite side, devil's advocate? You're going to have lefties and Democrats and liberals who are saying stuff like they understand the rights of gun ownership, but we have a problem in the country of deaths and, and mass shootings and and schools getting shot up. So it's only moral to sort of modify the Second Amendment rights a bit. Does that have any, you know, does that make sense to you at all? Uh, yeah. So I guess if you think legally about it, um, there should be no federal uh, gun restriction at all. It should all be at the state level. So then at the state mm -hmm. level, if you get a whole bunch of lefties in one state that want to really crack down on it, well, then you kind of, I think you kind of have to fight it at the state level and even potentially down to like the city or county level, potentially, you know, secede from that state, form your own state with a group of people. Yeah, I, I think it, it, over the past 200 or so years, we've taken what the Supreme Court says as, you know, as gold. And that's been a problem for states' rights. We've, you know, went and moved the uh, election of state senators from uh, where the state legislatures used to appoint the senators to now there, it's like a general, you know, popularity contest type election. And that's not necessarily a good thing because they're not really representing the states anymore for state sovereignty. They're representing, you know, the popular vote in the state. Yeah, I just I think if you're going to have government, you got to you got to keep it local because people are different. I agree with you there. And you know what's kind of ironic too is the as far as states goes, I think it would it's more of the democrat states that actually have more gun violence to them than compared to a lot of the uh the republican states. It's these, you know, the metropolitan cities, it's it's places like New York, you know, LA, and they, ha they actually have more gun control laws. They, they are a lot of gun control laws on the books already. 
I mean, there's no arguing with the statistics whatsoever. It's all in favor of, you know, low gun control having less crime and all the more gun control states and areas having more crime. Uh, I mean, that, that evidence has been there for years. They refuse to see it because they just don't like guns. They don't like those black rifles because they're scary. So those, those people you can never really convince. So that's why you got to hope that maybe your state constitution is good enough and then you can maybe fight back based on, I guess, using that as your basis for your argument. That's, that's at least my thoughts. And one of the things I don't like, too, is that most of these laws don't actually do anything as far as having a solution to the, the problem that's kind of riling everybody up wanting gun regulation. They're, they're not really saving lives on any of these laws. So it's most it's just a lot of little laws opening the doorway and like starting a precedent that, yeah, we can have gun control laws. Look how many we've done last year. You know, it's 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 now common to to enforce gun control laws. Like that's about all it's doing. It's not really saving lives. There's a couple in Virginia though that they passed that didn't seem like a big deal to me. Or And there's a couple that I was kind of on the fence on and still thinking and mulling over my head. Like one of them, if I can remember correctly, was like they want they have it now or they want it to make it a felony when you leave a firearm in reach of someone that's under 18, you know, or I think it was from 14, 18. So just kind of like deter you from being lazy and, and leaving your firearm around. I mean, that's not a gun regulation law, you know what I mean? That's sort of just like, uh, okay, we're going to be, don't be stupid and leave it around for a kid to get and then accidentally shoot themselves. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of actually against any government regulation trying to fix stupidity. I think you have to let people be stupid or not stupid and make those decisions Obviously, yes, we don't want kids getting a hold of guns, but responsible gun owners are going to do that anyway. Dumbasses are not going to do that, and whether you pass a law or not, I don't think it's going to change anything. And in my opinion, it's all, any of these anti-gun laws, or whatever they, you want to call them, are it's all just incrementalism. And little by little, they just keep chip, chipping away uh, and little, little, and then you know, all of a sudden, a few years go by of these, and then you can't have a gun anymore. Yeah, that's what kind of what I was getting at. Like, it's not a lo- that particular one, for example, is not something that really will accomplish anything. It certainly won't accomplish like anything in the world of these gun deaths and mass shootings. It makes sense though, so I could see people going, oh, okay, like, yeah, um, that's that's reasonable. But all you're doing at this point is opening the door for. Uh, reasonable little this reasonable that here and there here and there a bunch of gun laws but they really don't do anything so like five years down the road it's common for us to be passing gun laws and then at this point how you know where where are we at how much are they getting into our right here you know but before we leave this topic i know we spent longer than we probably wanted to i did want to kind of talk to you about what you think well i i guess i know what you think but the red flag laws because that's the tricky one because that's the one that morally sounds good you these red flag laws are about you know throwing like tags on people something like um, risk protective orders on people who seem like they're they're risky that they shouldn't own a gun because they're mentally you know mentally weird and they they you know caused they did some crime before so you're able to tag them as a risk protective order or something like that and they come in and take their guns and they're it's kind of like a pre-crime almost you know Sounds kind of crazy, but maybe, you know, oh, a mentally unstable person shouldn't have a gun, right? I mean, we all we all agree there. I, I see just a huge avenue for abuse. I think that's the issue, yeah. Yeah, and you, you know in the blue states, it's always going to be abused, and it's going to be, um, uh, you know, people are going to lose their rights before before due process. I don't know. It, it sounds like it would. it's something that you could do if it was written perfectly and uh-huh. you had a way of getting your guns back like quickly, let's say even within 24 hours, if it was a um, false charge or, uh-huh. you know, just in, in general, if somebody doesn't like you and they bring this up and uh, you, you have to make them come up with some sort of evidence or proof that you're a risk, you know, that you're actually going to 
go out and imminently hurt someone. Uh, I I don't know, but I think in general, if you're going to go and hurt someone and kill people, you're going to do it anyway, right? The gun is just a tool. Let's say we take somebody's guns away that's crazy and he wants to kill a bunch of people. Well, I mean, as we've seen around the world, they just use a knife or they use a car or they use bombs. I mean, they want, if they want to do it, then they're going to, they'll find a way. And the gun is just mm-hmm. the tool. And so all you're really doing is kind of taking away someone's rights to defend themselves, to, to own the gun, defend their property, to make the other people who are kind of scared of the guns in general, the, the leftists, try to make them feel a little bit better, right? Yeah. Well, I get this whole i get it from both sides here because the the left and gun control people get to say hey you you were looking for something that had a solution to these problems and i'm offering you one by by taking guns away from people who go on it could be deadly you know a mentally unstable person if we had taken the guns away from that kid he might not have um you know committed the crimes in san bernardino or whatever you know so uh, they get to say stuff like that, which may be true, because I think it, a lot of these bad mass shootings are mental, you know, related. Um, but it is, like you said, the biggest avenue from from really getting dangerous and, and seizing guns it, uh, from from people who, you know, they don't deserve to be seized from. It's really taking away their right. There's actually cases on the books already of stuff like that happening, even in Florida, because we have uh, a red flag law type of thing down here where uh, there was a kid who was criticizing a gun control person online, you know, on like Facebook or Reddit. I don't remember where it was. So mm-hmm. he, he's criticizing him. Who knows about probably making fun of him or saying, you know, whatever. And then he just a little bit later, he posted a picture of his AR 15 and whoever, you know, is in charge of this stuff, saw that as threatening, I guess, and they slapped him with, with this RPO and, you know, risk protective order or whatever. And, um, you know, he can no longer buy guns. I'm not sure if they seized them from him, but that's the whole red flag thing. I mean, he, he could have had his guns taken away if that's part of the laws just because of that, just because online he criticized a gun control guy, which we're doing right now. We're criticizing gun control type of aspects. And then he posted a picture of his AR-15. Is that illegal? I can't post a picture of my gun. You know, and that's all it took for the, for this guy to be, you know, flagged. Yeah. And that's the thing we're afraid of. That, I mean, that that's definitely a problem. And, and if you think about it this way, the people will start changing their behavior right away. So let's say you have a red flag law in your state and someone really pisses you off to the point where you're crazy enough that you want to go and kill them or kill a whole bunch of people. And instead of posting about it and saying that, hey, I'm going to go kill these people, they just won't tell anybody, right? They'll mm-hmm. they'll just be like, hey, if I do it, they're gonna come take my guns, right? Yeah. So why would I just why would I televise it ahead of time? And then they'll just stop that behavior, and then the red flag law will be meaningless. And maybe making it worse because now he's never flagged on the FBI's radar or anything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I think you do want these people talking, right? Because then you can see them. You and then if it does look like they're threatening, well. Call the police or call whatever authorities if we have them and uh, let them monitor that person. Yeah, monitor to see what their activities are. Exactly. You have reason to go in and get them. I mean, yeah, basically a red flag law without it actually being a red flag law. Well, I have a few commercials for you guys. I'm an affiliate marketer for several different companies, which I do recommend if you're interested in such products. And you have my word that I'm only going to promote stuff that I actually use and that I actually think is a great value. So I want to tell you a little bit about Captivate FM. I use Captivate FM as my podcast hosting platform, and it's probably the best podcast hosting platform there is. Captivate is said to be the apple of podcast hosting, and the value is certainly undeniable. And you can get seven free days just for trying it out. I host my podcast through Captivate, which is the world's only growth-oriented podcast host, and you can too. Next up is the McClanahan Academy. So this is at McClanahanAcademy.com, and that's M-C-C-L-A-N-A-H-A-N. And a little bit about Brian McClanahan, who created this academy. He's an author of six books and a renowned historian. He got his PhD in history at the University of South Carolina. He has written numerous articles for many websites and magazines. He has nine courses for sale right now on his website covering pre- and post-Civil War American history. And he's a fantastic historian and will give it to you straight. 
And the next product I want you to check out is called Liberty Classroom. And you can go to libertyclassroom.com to take a look. And you can get the history and economics they didn't teach you in school. Several fantastic historians and economists have courses on this site, which you can play over the internet or through a phone app on such topics as philosophy, American history, Western civilization, the American presidents, and the interesting connection between science fiction and liberty. You can also get courses on history of economic thought, current economic thought, and remember, this is the true history you didn't get in school without the political correctness that we all love to hate. And please remember, if you're going to try out any of these products, I only get credit if you click on one of them through either my website or through the show notes on my podcast. And now let's get back into the show. All right, I do want to talk about the authorization for use of military force. So recently, we've got this AUMF. I'll say it again, authorization for use of military force. Okay. Come- and I don't know anything about this, so you're telling me to. Good, I'm gonna, uh, I'll lead the whole thing on this. This is, this is pretty good, actually. So it came up again in the House, and on Thursday, um, 11 Republicans joined with a Democratic majority in voting to repeal this 2002 AUMF law, which basically gives the president and the executive branch the ability to start uh, or you know, start a war or continue a war wherever the hell the president wants to. And this was the justification or the approval given for invading Iraq in 2002. So, of course, none of this was really legal according to the Constitution. The U.S. Congress is the only body authorized by the Constitution to declare a war or to continue a war or even to end a war. Even James Madison said that in not uncertain terms that the person conducting the war, the president, should have no ability to decide if a war starts or ends. And the way the founders set it all up, they didn't even want the executive branch anywhere near the monies controlling, you know, uh, arming the troops and all that. Right. So they wanted this separation of the sword from the purse and the power to fund war also rests with Congress and specifically the House of Representatives. And in addition, the Constitution does not allow the president to veto Congress when it comes to war. So next, I want to get into this guy, Matt Gates, who you probably know. So you have this young up and coming representative from Florida, Matt Gates, who I do happen to like. He spoke in the House ahead of the vote and said, and I, he's got a long quote here, so bear with me. He said, The United States has been unable to declare victory and bring troops home, and after Saddam Hussein is dead, after his regime has disappeared and ISIS has collapsed, and even after all this, we can't declare some sort of victory, well, then no war will ever truly be winnable, and every authorization for war is now a forever war. And he went on to say something like, let's not give the 21st century to China as we toil in the Middle East. Instead of sending America's bravest patriots to the blood-stained sands of the Middle East, let's take care of our veterans here at home. Instead of wasting American treasure bombing and rebuilding Iraq, let's rebuild our own great nation. Let's secure the U.S. border with Mexico before we send another soldier or sailor, uh, sailor to the Middle East. Instead of all this ill-fated adventurism, let's put America first. You know, keeping the U.S. forces in Iraq is not what the president wants. It's not what American people want. And it's not what the Iraq parliament wants. And then he said, and this was a great line at the end, the next best time to vote against the Iraq war would have been uh, 2002. And the second best time is today. So, yeah, I can get on board with all that. That sounds pretty good to me. And I think, I mean, it would do wonders for the president's reelection if he actually got on board with this Matt Gates guy and brought the troops home. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe he should get into the administration. Maybe Trump should bring him in. But as a Republican, and they've said these kinds of things before and not really meant it, maybe he means it. Who knows? But if the rest of them kind of glom on to these ideas, well, then maybe we can get our troops home. What do you think? I don't know. Is there a disconnect, you think, between Republican politicians and the people? Because I I think if Trump brought the troops home, even if it was bad foreign policy, I feel like that would get him reelected like the easiest way possible. I I think it would be huge. No, I I think you're right. It, It would... 
It would be him fulfilling another campaign promise from 2016. And I think a lot of people, like millions of people are tired of war. And I think they outnumber the neocons. They outnumber all the warmongers. And I think it would be a huge win for him. Yeah, I think it would be as far as votes, but maybe he doesn't think it is in the best interest himself, um, foreign policy wise. Maybe he's still on, you know, he still agrees with those kind of neocons. Well, I don't know if he might. He might not. I, I, th- I kind of think he doesn't, and that's what I get the I get the feeling he doesn't because he's the one who want you know wanted Bolton gone. And did you see the tweets that he tweeted about Bolton saying I would be in we'd be in World War uh, like six if I listened to that guy? Yeah, I saw that. It was funny. I mean, that does kind of make you think he, he's not that kind of warmongering, neocon kind of person. But then you gotta you got to ask yourself, why the hell did he even bring him into his administration in the first place? Well, that's the weird thing about Trump this entire time since being elected. Yeah, I mean, he surrounds himself. Yeah, yeah. he, he brings in these people and fires them like six months later because says he, they're terrible. I know, I don't, I mean, he brings in the warmongers and then... He wonders then, <laughs> why they put up a fight when he tries to stop yeah, end the war. I mean, it's kind of dumb. And then they all write um, unreliable books afterwards. Right. Well, that's kind of all I wanted to say about that. But it, that I think this is all a big continuation just of things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you can see what's going on in the trial now, right? They have, uh, obviously, the House had their impeachment trial, and they impeached Trump for you know, no apparent reason, really. And eventually got to the to the Senate, and you got Schiff testifying in the Senate, and he's using these, you know, warmongering, uh, I guess, statements about Russia. You got to fight them over there instead of fight them over here. I mean, they were going back to Cold War policy with Russia. I mean, this is 1960s, 70s, 80s type stuff. I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, Russia is not a threat to the United States, unless we attack them, right? Like if we bomb them significantly, well, they have nukes and they're going to respond. Right. It's weird. Where was Schiff and these people when Obama himself laughed at the idea that Russia was a threat? Yeah. I mean, they just changed their mind because it's against Trump. Anything to further their own narrative and to hurt Trump, they're going to agree with even if it was 180 degrees different than what it was yep. a year ago. That is the truth. I mean, if you think about like the history, ever since the collapse of USSR, despite all the promises by the United States not to move one inch closer to Russia, all we've done since then is surround that country with bases, right? If anything, we, of course, look like the aggressor. We look like the bad guys and not the good guys. I mean, I liked what Trump said in 2016 when he said, why can't we be friends with Russia? I thought that was a great thing. And that would be, would it make sense to me to have the countries with the most nuclear weapons in the world actually be friendly with each other rather than enemies? Yeah, I agree. And we all agreed, uh, Trump supporters agreed. That's where they might be a little bit hypocritical at this point in time. That was good Trump rhetoric at the time. Um, it went down a lot of Republicans and Trump supporters are... Perfectly on board with with aiding Ukraine and giving them a bunch of weapons and all that kind of stuff. So, have you been following any of the uh, Senate trial? Um, I've been following the highlights. Okay. A good a good podcast um, is you know the Cruz the verdict with Cruz that came out. It started with um, just as this the Senate trials were going on, and I thought it was interesting because in like three days it became the number one podcast in the country or the world. I don't know the number one rated podcast. You know, above even like Joe Rogan, who gets like millions of listeners. I thought that was interesting because to me, it tells you like the conservative side, this this whole right side is truly the silent majority. You don't hear these people on social media. All you hear is the left. I think because, you, you know, if you if you talk to the left and sort of oppose what they're saying, they, they kind of come at you with a lot of insults. I don't know. That might just be me. But. You don't hear the conservative side that loud on social media, yet a podcast comes out with Ted Cruz going over the impeachment, and it soars to number one in the country or the world, whatever it is. That, to me, is really interesting. Right. And, I mean, Dan Bongino is pretty good on this stuff. Uh, I don't like everything he has to say, but he's been right from the beginning on the whole— you know, Spygate thing and the Russia collusion thing and the Ukraine thing. I mean, it, it's all 
related. I mean, all these people know each other and they're all trying to protect something, trying to protect themselves. But yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think people, uh, a lot of conservatives, uh, maybe not so many libertarians just because there aren't that many of us, but they just don't tell people what they actually think. They don't feel it necessary to, you know, voice their opinion online. They just stay quiet. And, you know, maybe when they go to vote or they listen to these podcasts and it shows up in the numbers, and right? Otherwise, Trump wouldn't have won. You know what else gets me, too, is if you follow the trail of this whistleblower, Eric, Sierra Mello, whatever, mm-hmm. I mean, it is evidence that the deep state is a real thing to me, for sure. I mean, this the whole entire thing, it looks, it looks like a giant setup from anti-Trump Obama holdovers, you know, from from the Obama administration and the CIA and the NCA. And they're friends with people on Schiff's council. Like this guy's best friends with someone that you know, works with Schiff, you know, and it's just like the whole thing is so rotten from the beginning. You know they just sat there waiting for anything they could on a phone call with Trump to then rat to these people who, who hate him, who have reportedly wanted to oust him from the office the minute he got there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this guy is being reported on as wanting to do that. Yeah, it, it's it's all um, intelligence people from yeah. the Obama administration, holdovers in either the National Security Council or other offices, right. FBI or whatnot, and they're just all, they were very pro-Obama, which is fine, but then when the new boss comes in, you're supposed to work with him and on his agenda, not against him. And so, yeah, I, I, that, I do believe that's where all these things started. I don't know if it was a brainchild of John Brennan's and James Comey, or maybe it was started with the CIA and Hillary and the DNC. I don't know who came up with the idea because you probably won't find a paper trail telling you, but you can see where all the evidence is pointing, and it's all pointing back to people uh, in the Obama administration that were there. Now, whether Obama had anything to do with it or not, I mean, you can make the argument that Obama was just like, hey, guys, do what you want to do, just don't tell me about it. And you can make the argument that Obama had to approve all the spying and stuff like that. So who knows, right? Who knows how much he knew, but... I think he did know, and he clearly just didn't do anything to stop it. So he's still kind of culpable, right? Anything from the impeachment and the, and the hearings that stood out to you? Yes. So Friday, I think it was Friday, they voted to not have new witnesses. And that was basically down party lines. It was like 51-49 or something. But I, I, I don't know. Why did they even have the trial? They could have they just dismissed it right in the beginning. And I, I was in the beginning, I was kind of 50-50 on it. Because, I mean, if you think about it, everybody already really knew how they were going to vote even before you had the trial, right? So Okay, why- and that's important, too, to say because I want to point out that the narrative of the, the really, the narrative really heavily guided by the media, because we know the media leans incredibly hard to the left, is that the Republicans are blocking these extra witnesses because they they, they want to hide the truth. And, man, they're just scummy Republicans that are protecting the president. And they, and they look at them block these witnesses, and that's what they want to do. And they're, they're so dishonest and blah, blah, blah. That's, that's the narrative. But can you explain a little bit behind the blocking and not even voting for witnesses, really, from a truthful perspective? All right, so here's my thoughts on it. If they do the witness thing, right, then Trump gets his due process that he never got in the House. He gets his day in court, and then potentially they could air more corruption and get that out there. But then at the same time, it's having a trial is risky, right? You never know what's going to happen and how people's moods are going to be changed by it and what that's going to do. So I don't know. I was 50-50 on it, and then just thinking about you know, knowing that a lot of these people are not going to be swayed no matter what witnesses are brought in. I was going to say, you, you previously said you didn't think there should have been in a trial at all. You, you don't think this whole thing should have happened in the first place at all, right? It was, a complete, it was a completely partisan impeachment. Yeah, I don't think he did anything impeachable, right? So, And that's the reason why, from my perspective, you know, as a, as a guy on the right, the whole thing 
was completely and obviously politically motivated. It was a completely partisan impeachment from the get-go, so much to the point that we believe, based on, I mean, it's objective, really. Go and look at the research yourself from, like, clear investigations or whatever it's called.com, that the Eric Ciamelli guy was a heavily politically biased and a Trump hater, and it was all set up from the beginning. So the whole impeachment was a sham. So if you know that and you're the Republican side, then let's get the votes to end this thing as quick as possible. Not play games here. We're not. We're not here to, to you know, play their game that they set up to try and not have a, a, a Trump in the 2020 election. So there, it's not about finding the truth for Republicans. It's about ending the sham impeachment because it should never exist in the first place. Like I don't agree with Romney voting for you know, witnesses to come up. Cause it's like, why are you even playing their game? You know that this was stupid in the first place, that nothing was impeachable. So why would you even have, you know, let them mess around with, with wanting to, and first of all, I, I would want there to be, you know, as an entertainment value, I wish they could have brought in more people. Cause I would have loved to see Hunter Biden on there. I would have loved to see the Eric, whatever his name was, the whistleblower on there. I don't think Bolton was going to give you anything impeachable. He was going to tell you that maybe, that yeah, Trump wanted them to be investigated. He wanted everyone, everything, in, to be investigated. On his note card for Ukraine, he had in there, you know, 2016 corruption server, you know, DNC, Proud Strike, Burisma, Biden. You know, that was all on his little note card for Ukraine. He wanted it all investigated. That's not impeachable. So I was for it. But I I, I understand the whole like let's just get this thing completely out of here because it's stupid and it's wasting time. It should never happen. That's my view on it. Right. I, I agree. That's where I think you could go, could have gone both ways. You could potentially bring in people like the whistleblower, the fake whistleblower, you know, uh, Hunter Biden, potentially Joe Biden, who would never show up. I mean, but again, it, it would just be a show trial. So yeah. uh, as much as I do want to see those people testify under oath, it's it, they nothing would probably come out that we don't already know anyway. So could you get? Could you imagine there's people like Cory Booker and other senators and Democrat saying that Hunter Biden, you know, ha- there's no relevancy there for him to come in and be a witness. Like he's, comp- it, it makes no sense at all. Like how is that possible for you to even say and for us to buy it? The whole thing, you know, is around Hunter Biden. That's the whole reason you're you're impeaching Trump. Is because he wanted Biden investigated. What what are you talking about? Right. I mean, it's obviously a lie. I mean, but that's what they do, right? These politicians lie. And people like you and me don't believe them, but a lot of people on their side do. They'll believe anything they say. I don't know, I don't know how you believe that part. How do, you, how do you possibly square away that Hunter Biden has nothing to do with it? We don't need to look at him. That's the whole impeachment thing was Trump thought Hunter Biden and was, there was a corrupt connection between Hunter Biden getting paid millions of dollars for a job he has no idea how to do because of his dad hooking him up and then hanging eight threats over their head. Yeah, people justify things in their minds and you, you can't you can't get in their head even though the truth is obvious. But um, I mean to just to, to move on just a little bit, yeah, I mean the house the house concluded their investigation and they rushed it. It was a huge rush job and they could have called more witnesses. They could have called Bolton. But they didn't, and it was so important for them to get their trial over with so fast and rush it through, and then stupid Pelosi held on to it for like three weeks before she sent it to the Senate. So it, that, the, whole, the whole trial was a lie, right? Just, it, so that's just more evidence it was a lie, right? Because it really wasn't, didn't have to be a rush job. And so then you have to think, well, why are they doing it this way? All right, so I, I do have a theory on that, but I want to get into that later. Okay, now, I mean, I think it's overall, if we get back to the establishment thing, I think it's better for the, I mean, I guess I'm getting into my theory now, though, but it's better for the establishment in both parties to drag this on because it hurts Trump. He's the anti-establishment guy, and it hurts Bernie. Bernie is not an establishment guy, right? He is the anti-establishment version of Trump in the Democratic Party. The establishment people are Biden, it's Elizabeth Warren, probably even Buttigieg, right? It would be Hillary if she got back in. Wait, are you saying that this hurts uh, Bernie, the whole 
impeachment thing? I think if the Senate trial dragged on, it did, because then he wouldn't be able to, as a senator, campaign as often as he wants. And I think that was part of their plan, was to keep him, you know, in D.C., in this stupid trial, and so he couldn't go to Iowa and win, right? So this, if they acquit on Wednesday, I think this helps Bernie out, and he gets to go to Iowa rather than sit, you know, in D.C. for the trial, um, and he's been surging, especially uh, in um, the first two states, Iowa and New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. He's been surging after getting stabbed in the back from Hillary Clinton and Elizabeth Warren, right? So where, I don't know if you remember, where Hillary, she's not currently running, right? But mm-hmm. she's meddling. And she already, uh, she, she already attacked a non-establishment woman, Tulsi Gabbard, right? So she tried to bring Tulsi down. You know, so so much for supporting women, I guess. And now she has her sights and dogs set on Bernie. And just, I think it was like a week ago, she, she came out and said that no one likes him. Well, obviously it's not true because millions of people do like him, but he's, he's anti-establishment, right? So he's not allowed to be the Democratic nominee, just like they rigged it against him in 2016. She's already got things going against him. And that's I think that's why the whole... A sexist charge came up with Elizabeth Warren because her campaign is floundering and mm-hmm. they she needed to be desperate and do something. And since she's an establishment person and uh, yeah, she needed to set up Bernie as some sort of sexist, but nobody believes it. Yeah, no, it, it came off just completely like obvious as a desperation attempt. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I should understand at this point what they're trying to do, right? They, they want to maintain control over the presidency and, I mean, 2016, you got the Hillary rigging in against Bernie. She was the establishment pick. Trump basically came in and killed Jeb Bush. I mean, just like mm-hmm. eviscerated him. And Jeb Bush was the establishment guy. And then you got this non-establishment Trump that won. And that's when you have this CIA, FBI, DNC thing where they all kind of got together to, to gang up on Trump. And we're still seeing, you know, this play out currently, right? The, <laughs> He's it, still winning. I know, he's still winning. It went from Russia collusion to uh, some other sort of collusion to Ukraine spying and you quid pro quo. I mean, it's all one big connected scandal. It's all. It's going to look so ridiculous after it's all said and done on paper. You know, when you, when just what you were saying right there, if you write it all out, it's going to be like, God, man, he really had it, had it hard. They were all going after him. But on the whole uh, Bernie being helped by this, Maybe that is their plan, and if it is, they're pretty flustered right now. I don't think it's hurting Bernie, him being here, because I think it's hurting Biden, just highlighting the whole Biden and Hunter Biden thing, I think opens some eyes to, to some people, at least. I'm going to hit you with some numbers. You ready for some numbers? Okay. Okay. National polling data, uh, realclearpolitics.com, has Biden at 27.2%. And Sanders, Bernie Sanders at 23.5. This is the highest Bernie has ever been. Elizabeth Warren is down at 15. That's in the national polls. So way back in, what month was this? I'm just sliding the graph around here. So way back in October, early October, Warren was at 26%, and now she's at 15. Biden has been basically in the high 20s for six months. He hasn't moved. He's flat. And Bernie, Bernie's graph is going up. So now state-level-wise, and this is what I think the Democrats are worried about, Iowa, Bernie Sanders, 24.2%. Joe Biden is 20.2%. He's got a four-point lead right now in Iowa. That's the first state. New Hampshire. New Hampshire is February 11th. So Iowa is this week, right? New Hampshire is the 11th. Bernie Sanders, 26.3%. Joe Biden, Mm. 16.8%. Bernie's going to take the first two states, it looks like. And then the Democratic Party has a problem. Do you know why that's happening? Yeah, well, I I think, obviously, New Hampshire. New Hampshire, he's favored anyway. But I I think it's because um, he has a lot of grassroots people. You can see from his donations, he's getting millions of small donations to his campaign and a lot of new donations coming to his campaign. And the donations just go up and up every time some establishment person tries to stab him in the back. Oh, 
The other right. one, I, the, the other one I forgot, Joe Biden. Joe Biden came out and and basically said that um, Bernie is not a Democrat. So he did that in, like in the last couple of days, right? So yes. I, I mean, if and you got three establishment people actively attacking Bernie Sanders, and his numbers keep going up. I think yeah. that I think they're shitting in their pants. Yeah, I think that's correlated them attacking and his numbers going up. So I think um, I do think the highlighting of the Hunter Biden thing and Joe Biden thing is, is bad optics for Biden. And I think it's hurting him personally. I think the impeachment trials are hurting Biden. Um, because if you're honest with yourself and if you're trying to be as honest as you possibly can, it's hard for you to ignore the whole Hunter Biden thing while you're trying to criticize Trump on a Ukraine phone call, which he really didn't say anything. Okay. Um, second is the Elizabeth Warren stabbing him, pulling out the women card and, and then just applying the um, sexist card onto, uh, onto what's his name, Bernie, mm -hmm. did not play well at all. I think everyone saw that was a completely like stab in the back. You know, even if it wasn't, I don't know, maybe it was true, but the, the way it came off was like, you're just pulling this card out and to try and hurt Bernie. And they didn't like it. I think Elizabeth Warren's numbers dropped. She looks dishonest and Bernie's goes up. And then three goes back to what we said a long time ago on a podcast. Bernie stopped yelling at people as much as he was. Remember before I was complaining, why are you yelling at everyone? Could you stop it? Like it's, it's looking, we don't like it. Okay. You're becoming very unlikable because you're just constantly yelling all the time. Now he still does sometimes, but it's, it's toned down. I really think people, his own team have got to him and sort of reworked the attitude and he's coming off a little bit more likable. I don't know if you remember me saying that before uh, in 2016, he was more likable than he was in 2020 at the beginning. And he's coming off more likable, and you're getting a boost also because recently Joe Rogan supported him, um, saying he he would probably vote for Bernie. And it had nothing to do with policy; it had to do more. With, you know, I think he's honest and genuine, and he, I like the dude. And and people like Joe Rogan, and they they respect him for some reason, and I think that helped. So I think all those factors together are boosting Bernie. Yeah, and the whole Elizabeth Warren thing at the debate looked really staged, and I don't know if our yeah. listeners saw that or not, but I can just tell them really quickly. I think it was at the end of the debate, uh, Bernie went to, I guess, shake hands with Elizabeth Warren, and she left her mic on on purpose and went over to him yep. and said, hey, did you just call me a liar on national TV? And then he was yeah, like— I think you just called me a liar, yeah. Yeah, and, and he, he was like, whoa— Let's talk about this later or something he said, his response was. But that was, it was clearly on purpose. That was not a hot mic moment. I know, for real. If it wasn't her doing it on purpose, it's like uh, planned, you know, from the networks and everything. Because the anti-establishment guy, Bernie, I mean, that's how it came off to all of us. Right. You know, so obviously. And maybe we could be wrong, but that's the way it looks. It looks like she's totally just stabbing him in the back and it's all planned job to attack him let's try the woman card thing and it's uh working for bernie's favor right now he just got he just got to remember to stop yelling at people okay so hey we got to get into some predictions this is a long podcast but we can't not talk about this okay so i think elizabeth warren is dead elizabeth warren is the fake indian right she uh lied uh, on you know the affirmative action type applications for schools. She lied about getting fired from her job. She lied about her, her dad's job as a janitor or something. And this whole thing looks staged with uh, being calling Bernie a sexist. So I, she does not look genuine. There's no way the Bernie supporters are going to go with her. I, I think she's done. So right now, to me, it looks like it's be between Joe and Bernie. And the establishment, whoever's pulling the strings behind the scenes... They really don't want Bernie, and yeah, okay. but they're scared about Joe Biden and Joe Biden having the whole Hunter Biden thing in the background and Joe Biden looking like he should be kind of sitting in an old hey Joe instead of running for president. I, I think they're scared. And I, I think they're going to try to some way, one way or another, push this to a brokered convention. What do you think? What happens in a brokered convention? Well, then I think all the delegates go up for grabs. And in a brokered convention, you can get someone else coming in, potentially someone who is not leading in the polls currently, like Bloomberg, or potentially a Hillary or somebody to kind of jump in and take, take all the delegate votes. Yeah, I guess perhaps. But I, I just I don't think Michelle wants it. I just keep saying she's the only one that, will, that could win. 
it's it's possible. I, I think that's definitely possible. But I mean, if you think about it, like if I was Michelle Obama, I'd be like, screw that. Why the hell would I want that job, right? Yeah, sure. I, I'm sitting in my $15 million beach home. I don't want to go to D.C. Why would I want to do that? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. If I were her, I wouldn't do it. Okay, did, did you have any sort of prediction about who do you think is going to go up against Trump? Do you think it's going to get brokered? Um, that's an interesting thought. Now, I, I would say... I would say still Biden, but now you made me think because my reason for Biden was because the people pulling the strings behind the scenes, um, the establishment, they want Biden. And I don't think the Democrats can beat what the establishment wants right now, like the the Republican side did. But you're saying that the establishment is afraid of Biden, too. And I don't. Yeah, I think you might be right. So I I have no idea. I need more time. Well, I think they're afraid of Biden because he's an idiot and he likes to, you know, sniff little girl's hair and he's got... Yeah, you know, he won't cut that out. And he's got a lot of Jeez. weird, uh, like family ties to money and Ukraine, and like a lot. Of, there's a lot of crime going on in that family, and I think more and more stuff's going to come out. So I think they're kind of worried about him going up against Trump. But yeah, because they know Trump's team is going to cut a like a minute long ad of Joe Biden looking really creepy, touching girls and sniffing their hair. That would be a killer. He'd be dead. That ad, it can, be, it exists. You can create that so easily, and it would just be the worst ad you'd ever see for for a candidate. Oh, it's probably on YouTube right now. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah, it's not playing on TV yet, though. Now, I think deep down, uh, I don't know if this is true, but I, I think that the Democrats are really worried about something, and that's why they're they're coming out and talking about Trump being an illegitimate president and that there's Russian interference in the elections, and they're worried about Russian interference in future elections, right? I mean, there's never, it's never been proven that there's been ever any Russian interference in the 2016 election, but they're already setting the stage to affect the 2020 outcome. And guess what? Affect the next Supreme Court nominee, right? Ruth Bader Ginsburg is not doing well. So I don't know if she's going to die or retire, but I think the demos are freaking out that if the Supreme Court, so another seat becomes open, and mm-hmm. one more conservative ends up on the court, it could affect the country for a generation. Yeah, so how, how are they going to stop that? Well, here's, that's why they're calling Trump an illegitimate president now, and they're talking about Russian interference now, because then if, let's say, Trump wins and RBG dies or retires and Trump wants to nominate someone, the Democrats are going to do what they can to try to block it, and they call the the nomination of a new person illegitimate. Well, I mean, I don't know. They've been saying he's illegitimate himself um, since he's been elected. Oh, yeah, no, I don't know if it'll work, but I think that's their game plan, uh, at least part of their game plan. Yeah, well, that's definitely their biggest fear, and, uh, yeah, they're trying whatever they can, but... So I do have to say, uh, I do have to say that, of course, the Supreme Court isn't supposed to have as much power as we have given it over the past 200 years, but that's like a whole separate discussion, right? The Supreme Court's supposed to issue an opinion, not dictate law. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, you're right. No, no I didn't say anything further. Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't think I have much more to add on this. I think, obviously, the the Democrats are going to fight no matter what happens. I think they would prefer the Senate not to acquit the trial this week and keep it going. But either way, if they do acquit, then they're just going to keep calling the, you know, the impeachment uh, acquittal. They're going to call that illegitimate, and they're going to use that, carry that into their, the rest of their arguments for the rest of the year, and potentially push for some sort of brokered convention. Uh, because I mean, I could kind of foresee Bernie Sanders winning the first two states, Joe Biden taking the next two states, which I think are Nevada and South Carolina or something like that, and then what? Right. So then you got. A kind of a split in the delegates. So mm. then, oh, and here's the other thing I forgot to mention. I, I don't know if you caught this. The DNC supposedly just changed their rules so that Bloomberg can get, I think, into the next debate because he, he didn't meet the criteria for the other debates, right? I forget what, exactly what the criteria mm. were, but supposedly now they're opening up a little avenue for him to get in. And this is probably because they're desperate to bring down Bernie a little bit. I think so. I, I, I think, again, along the same lines, they don't want it to be Bernie. They don't want it to be Biden. 
Bloomberg's got the money to go up against Trump, and he might be their only hope at this point. Well, not with that Super Bowl ad. Yeah, no, that was dumb, right? So I guess we do have to mention that. Um, so everybody, all our fantastic listeners, all thousands of you out there, Super Bowl, the Kansas City Chiefs won, hooray. And Trump had an ad, which I thought was pretty good. And Bloomberg, that idiot, had an anti-gun ad during the Super Bowl. Now, Joe, do you want to tell everybody, why the, tell the listeners why that's such a stupid idea? Well, I, I don't think this your football crowd and your Super Bowl crowd of people are the guys who want to hear from you about anti-guns. Right. I, I think if we actually polled the millions and millions of people that actually watch American football, I, I'm just guessing. Yeah, it's supposed to be like marketing marketing 101, you know, in terms of commercials is uh, what time, you know, should you air your commercial based on the audience that you want to reach? And Bloomberg completely, you know, forgot about all that. Yeah, I mean... Running an anti, uh, anti-gun anti ad on the Super Bowl, not the greatest idea. Yeah, you got to imagine about 90% of the people that actually like football are probably pro-gun. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. That was just kind of a waste of money, but he's a billionaire. Even billionaires do stupid things. Okay, guys, thank you for listening, and let's remember to keep those fires of liberty burning bright. Yeah.